then when you come together, you got to like each other. I've never played in a band that sounded anything good, any just 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 you know sounded decent, and folks had attitudes. It doesn't work. You can't play music and have an. Welcome to the Change Lead, the podcast providing leaders with the insight needed to get things done in a rapidly changing and complex world. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Connect with our community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. Welcome to The Change Lead with your host, Babatope Ipiyumi. How do jazz bands create brilliant musical pieces? Think about it. A group of musicians playing and improvising in real time. Members of a jazz band lean in and listen to each other while playing. High-performing teams are like jazz bands. In high-performing teams, team members lean in and listen closely to their fellow teammates. Question, how can we learn from jazz bands and build high-performing teams? To discuss this with me is Gerald J. Leonard. Gerald is an accomplished musician and business consultant. He leverages the principles of creativity, innovation, and peak performance to give businesses the edge needed to succeed. Gerald's an author. One of his books is titled Workplace Jazz. In this episode, Gerald and I will have a conversation about applying the principles of a jazz band to building high-performing teams. Hi, Gerald. Really glad that you can join the show today. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Uh, listen, Babatani, it's it's really good to talk to you as well. And uh, and I'm excited based on our last conversation we had. I'm really looking forward to this. And I hope I got your name right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, everybody struggles with it. Babatokwe, everybody struggles with it. Most okay, I think I did it. I think I did it right. So I think we're in good shape. We're off to a good yeah. start. <laughs> we're, we're off to a brilliant start. Um, <laughs> if we, if, I want to start with your profile, actually, because you've got yeah. a very rich profile. So I'll touch on a number of things. So I know you into music, that's in your background. You're yeah. a change practitioner, one of the things I'm also into. You're an author, you're a keynote yeah. speaker, you're an entrepreneur. As I could, the, the list goes on. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I'd like you to speak to that a little bit. How do you synthesize all those different facets of a career together? For example, if you go to a dinner party, how do you introduce yourself? As in, which one do you pick? How do you start? Um, do you go with all of them or how, how is that? I just kind of start off with, hi, I'm Gerald. <laughs> 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 and they may go, what do you do? I go, well, you know, I'm CEO of a company, but I'm also a musician and an author. Um, but it, it all integrates together. And so how that all happened, and I'll just kind of get to the root of it, how it all happened. Um, to be quite honest, Everything that I've done has been because of what I learned as a kid playing music. Uh, when I first started playing music, um, if you were in my office, you'd see a little red guitar behind me and that's one I used to steal from my sister and um, play. And she finally realized she wasn't gonna play it, so she let me have it and, and I'd started playing it and really fell in love with music. But I realized that for me to really get good or to start playing at proficient level, and I, you know, I joined the band with some friends of mine and one was an amazing guitar player. So I knew I couldn't compete with him. 
So I figured out my lane, which was playing bass. And um, we would go to, at the time I grew up in Lakeland, Florida, which is on in the you know, east coast of, of, of the United States. And in, I'm giving away my age now. In 1974, they created what's called the Lakeland Civic Center. And all of these bands, Earth, Wind & Fire, OJs, Brothers Johnsons, um, even jazz groups like, you know, um, uh, what's the drummer's name? I can't think of it right now, but it's a jazz drummer. All these groups came and I got, as a kid, I got to see them firsthand. So one, having models was always something that was important to me. Having mm -hmm. someone that was already doing what I was looking to do that was way ahead of me that I could model after what they were doing. And then as I started learning to play, I realized I needed a coach. I needed someone to guide me um, because there was only so much I could figure out. I could listen. I developed my ear, playing by ear. I started learning how to read music because I played a little piano beforehand. But it was that, all of those lessons of you know being a kid and learning how to play that really taught me the things that I used to build my career. Um, the, the ministry thing happened because I had finished my master's in Cincinnati, moved to New York, and had been a part of a church, started helping people, and I fell in love with helping people, and it was a part of my passion. It wasn't about being in the ministry. It wasn't about being in that role. It was about helping people, making an impact. Uh, after having kids, I decided I wanted to go back into music, so I came out of the ministry and then go back into music, but I didn't want to be on the road because my dad would always, has always been there for me. So, you know, having done all this stuff with music and having developed some computer skills, I got into IT so I could play locally and, and take care of my kids. And again, I used everything that I learned. Who's going to be my coach? What model do I, who, who's doing what I want to do that, that I can model after? What books do they have? What audios do they have? And every area of my life, whether it was being an entrepreneur, an author, I asked myself the same questions. Who can I model after? What books do they have? Who can teach me? Who can coach me? Uh, who can I partner with? I need to join a band. I need to join a group of folks who are doing what I want to do that can support yeah. me and that I can support them. And so basically from all my life, everything's felt like being a kid of doing the same thing. <laughs> <I did. laughs> and it's really that simple. So when you look at every area, whether it's the being a CEO, being an author, being an entrepreneur, um, a keynote speaker, I use the same model as I used as a kid, playing, learning how to play music. Is if you want to get good, you got to have those specific things in your life, which is a model, a coach, and so on. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I, I think it it does. I, I think I really like that aspect of a model. I think that's so that's so key, and it sort of shows and comes out from the way you've explained your journey that it's always good and it helps a lot to find a model to look for a model um and I, I think you touch on a few things there in terms of how you've used that particularly in music but also getting to it in as a ceo um if we go to the the the, the author because that's also something you you model you look for people what are they okay. writing their books i know you've got a couple of books out so right, and I have another one coming out that will come out in August. Uh, a Symphony of Choices, and actually got it uh, contracted with Wiley and uh, John Wiley and Sons, so they're publishing it. Nice. I'm looking forward to to that Symphony of Choices. Really good title. Um, very catchy. You can see the the combination of music coming out again 
in, yep. in that story. Um, if we if we go to the the one just before that, the one before the one you're writing now. Yeah, workplace um, jazz. Workplace jazz. Another another brilliant title, by the way. Um, <laughs> combining jazz again. Um, right. Can you can you speak to that? I know I know the subtitle has the has the, the words innovation, high performance. Can you speak to that? The lessons yeah. people can draw from that book to innovate and build high for high performing teams, high performing organizations. Exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting. Again, I have to go back to when I was a kid, right? Playing in that band. Um, and it's the things that I learned when you are performing together. First thing you got to do is you got to know your part. If you're going to join a band with some, even as a kid, if you're going to join a band and you say, hey, we're going to play these five songs, well, you got to go home and work on those songs. You got to <laughs> listen to them. You got to know your part. You got to know how many times they repeat this particular section. And especially as the bass player, because everybody else kind of gets to do a lot of things. But in funk and jazz and some other things, the bass has to be consistent, right? And even if it's repeating itself, it has to sound fresh the whole time. So how do you make something that's repeating sound fresh and keeps you on the edge? So all that you gotta take in mind. So when I wrote the book, I used, I, I thought of the concept of the times I had um, went into IT. And when I got into IT, just like just like with the base, I started looking at, okay, well, what am I, what am I naturally good at? And I realized that I was naturally good at organizing chaos, project management. <laughs> basically. <laughs> okay. And I enjoyed it. I really did. I enjoyed it. I would like be the one that organized the rehearsals and so on and so forth. And so I started going down that path and I did my, my process again, look for a model, look for coaches, look for, look for, you know, knowledge and so on and so forth. And so I focused on getting really good. And I, as I grew into consulting, I did the same thing. And so I started noticing because I was playing music and doing the IT thing. And I started noticing that work on really good project teams is a lot like playing jazz. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to go home and woodshed. In other words, everyone who has to come to the project, whether you're the business analyst, the developer, the project manager, the sponsor, whatever role you're playing, you need to know your role. You need to, you need to specifically understand what you're supposed to do. Then when you come together, you got to like each other. I've never played in a band that sounded anything good, any just 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 you know sounded decent, and folks had attitudes. It doesn't work. You can't play music and have an so you really have to love the people that you're working with. You have to have a passion, and so all those became principles in my nine step process of workplace jazz, because it was deliberate practice and woodshedding. Um, being positive. And then in, in the book now, as I've gotten mature, I've added, you know, and I've studied out neuroscience. And so, so I've added sections in there about neuroscience and about agile, being agile, because agile is more about being than doing. It's yeah. about the thinking part that you're, that you know how to maneuver and, and, and you're flexible, right? Also getting feedback um, is really critical to becoming a great musician. Um, uh, one of the lessons I learned in college when I was taking lessons, my teacher gave me, he, he was the uh, composer for the Cincinnati Symphony, and he was a um, composer for basses and so on and so forth. And he gave me this pretty expensive recording device, 
that I had to use when I played and practice to listen back to myself. Because what you hear when you're playing is not what you think, it's not what is being heard to the audience. So you need to record yourself to make sure you're in tune to make sure what you're hearing in your head is actually being coming out in the instrument. It's interesting how that works, but you really have to do that. And it's basically what that was, was an instant feedback mechanism. And so being on great project teams, you know, one of the things that you, you, you get, and if everyone's really comfortable with it is feedback. And if you're humble and honest and leave your ego at the door, you can get really good feedback and learn how to get better. And you don't have to come in like I'm a know-it-all, right? You can you can really work with each other. Also, as a bass player, um, you're most of the time in the background. Now, if you stop <laughs> playing, everybody notices it. <laughs> Everybody's like, "What happened to the bass?" It's like the the groove stopped. What 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 went on? Yeah. But if you but if you're playing it and somebody else is doing their solos or whatever then so it's basically learning to surrendering to serve mm. so all these became principles in the framework of workplace jazz because these are simple things that musicians do almost on a subconscious or non-conscious level in playing together and that when they work together they they really have to think about the big picture but before they think about the big picture, they really got to make sure they know how to play their instrument. Because you can't sit there and go, okay, now what note was that? Those, that has been <laughs> done, right? You got to know exactly what's going on with your instrument and how to play it. And then you're thinking about what are, why are we doing this show? What are we doing this concert for? How do we make this really great? And I found that great project teams have the same mindset. So that's really the essence of the book. And it really teaches you these nine frameworks and nine principles uh, that musicians use naturally to build great, you know, and think about it, most of the work today is all done by small teams, even in, even in major corporations. It's yeah. all these small groups, these small teams that are running certain departments. A lot of operational work is automate, automated now. AI is taking over from that standpoint. And we just have to learn how to work with AI. So a lot of the work that we end up doing is really just project work. I think I think you're so right. I think it's actually years ago I was working in an organization, and I and I made a joke. Yes, you got tens of thousands of people in the organization, but you could literally walk in a garage because on a day-to-day -day basis, who are you working with? It's the small group of people. So even though exactly. yes, you're part of a massive organization, you could literally be in a garage. Um, in terms of the way you described workplace jazz, I think that's a very brilliant and relatable analogy. That you've used now you've you've lived it as a, as a jazz player you've lived it and it right. sort of comes through the way you you've explained it um but it's something that i have to say it's, it's easy to relate to easy to understand i think it's perfect to understanding how teams can particularly project teams can collaborate work together i like the the term you you use that like you need to know your part you need to not just turn up without being prepared you need to exactly go home do your bit and then when you're doing your performing, working together, still listening out for each other. And the the ability to give feedback, like you, you mentioned, is so, so key in real time. So I think yeah. really, really brilliant feedback. I think another analogy some people could relate to is almost like sports teams as well. It's, it's yeah. the same kind of, it's the same kind of challenge where 
on your own, it's, it's a team sport. A single player, a single person on a team isn't going to pull it through. You need to collaborate, work together, give real-time feedback. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the same thing. And I think I've, I've heard it said that great, if you're doing real work, it's like an elite sport. If you're running yeah. a critical project, it's like an elite sport. You need to treat it like an elite sport. It's the exactly. same kind of analogy. Right. Exactly. So it, it really, it really is. And if you think about any of the, you know, you think about the Premier League over in London, you know, any of those, I, mean, I don't know all the details of the names of the players. I don't follow it that close, but having been to London on a visit, um, you know, I've driven by the stadiums and I've watched it on television. Everyone knows their role. You know, everyone knows their part. And then, you know, I can relate more to the sports in the U.S. because I love football and I love, you know, every once in a while I watch basketball. I'm not a big baseball person, but 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 for those teams, like right now, I think this weekend is the Super Bowl. Oh. And so you have two of the best teams out of the entire league. You got two of the smartest quarterbacks in the entire league that are playing. And it's really the team that can play better together because Mahomes by himself can't win the game by himself. Neither yeah. can Jalen Hurt on the, the quarterback for the other team. They cannot win it by themselves, but it has to be on both sides of the ball. Everyone has to be in lockstep and so it's really it really plays itself out of this whole idea of really building and it's funny because the 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 workplace jazz concept is really built on the foundation of my first book which was culture is the base and i wrote that one probably around 2015 2016 during that time where the song all about that bass was out you know this lady was singing all about that bass all about (laughs) that bass and um, but for to me, uh, and again, it's just me taking my musical experience and making an analogy in business. Um, the base was kind of like the culture of an organization. And in that book, I have like a seven step framework. And it's really about and if you think about it. Um, culture can be something that can be difficult to explain. But it's easy to feel you walk into a family you know you walk into an italian family you walk into a, an english family a proper english family you walk into um a, you know just any any different type of family irregardless of color or creed there's a culture there's a certain way they do things there's a certain feel that you experience and if you walk into a great you know you walk into a great um department store or a great uh, organization, there's a there's a feel to how the business runs. Now, it's because of the vision, the values, the buy-in, the stories, all those things that are layered on top of that I cover in the book. But at the end of the day, it's about a feeling. It's a groove. And if you think about it, and this is why I use the analogy, culture is the base. If you start listening to a pop song or a funk song, and you hear the bass kind of leading off. And whatever song you're listening to in your head right now, as I said that, you know it's a funk song. You know, you can't play, that, you can't play a, a funk bass line, whatever that case is, right? You can't play that bass line and then have like you know, country and western or classical. It's like, no, that's not that's the wrong, that's the wrong line. It's the wrong feel. Yeah. And so culture is like the base of an organization 
But then to get for the teams to work together, it is like jazz because it has to be fluid. And especially today, the requirements are changing. You know, uh, we have economic challenges. We have political challenges. We have social challenges. We have military challenges. You know, at any time, I mean, think about what just happened over in Turkey and Syria, my goodness, with all these people being hurt. But it, look what it, this, it's like that part of the world from a business or personal standpoint has stopped. And it's like they've had to really hone in and focus to 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 find people who have been hurt and so on and analyze why, you know, how do we build things better and so on and so forth. But things happen like that. So the teams in any business and landscape have to be able to move quickly and adjust. And it does require that agile jazz mindset. Yeah, I like, I like that agile jazz mindset. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if we, I want to speak, I want to go to one of your TED talks that you did. So you did a TEDx talk. Um, yeah. And there you, you used the term, I think, falling in love with practice, um, mm, which yeah. I thought was quite, quite key. Um, can you, can you, I would like good, good for you to talk to that. Why is practice so valuable? Why do you see that so, so valuable to teams? Okay. That's, that's a great point. And, that talk was critical for me because, you know, in my research and then just being a musician and you average out, even as a professional musician, you average out the amount of time that you're actually on stage mm. performing. I mean, even if you take, you know, they just had the Grammys, even if you take any of those bands that are in the Grammys that are touring on a nightly basis or on a weekly basis, two or three times a week, and they're traveling all over the world and playing. How many how many hours are they on stage playing in front of the, the audience? What, maybe two, three hours? You know, if they do two or three concerts, it's maybe six, seven, eight hours for the whole week, 168 hours. So what are you doing the rest of the time? You're preparing. You're if you're if you're preparing could be resting and and working on your vocals. It could be rehearsing the show itself, walking through the show. So in essence, you're spending, even at a, the highest level, even at a symphony level, you're spending about 95% of your time in preparation to get on stage to perform. And it's just like, again, with the Premier League or with, and I think of NFL football, and I'll, and I'll use this with, with NFL football because it amazes me, um, many of the guys, when they catch the ball, they're on the sidelines and their feet are like inches, centimeters away from being out of bounds, but they're not. Because mm. they have practiced over and over again, catching the ball, leaning out of bounds, but but the tippy toes are in the bounds. Now, in the middle of a game, when, when you got these 300-pound guys running and jumping on you, are you going to think about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. So the only way your body can respond is that you have you have ingrained that into your 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 body, your mindset, your subconscious, your non-conscious, and being excellent at what we do is something that's ingrained. It's something that we have to practice. So basically, the idea is you know practices performance. We have to live and love practicing. Because when we do get in front of someone, all they're going to see is how well did you practice? Whether it's 
practicing learning how to interview, practicing learning how to be a host of an interview, practicing being an author, practicing, you know, whatever the case is, it's going to be, did you practice, did you, did you work on that skill or is it, are you just winging it? And it becomes really clear whether someone is just winging it or they've really honed that skill set and are practicing it. And so that's why I said practice is, is, is like the performance and we have to fall in love with practicing because otherwise, you know, if, if we're just waiting to get on stage and we're only on stage five hours a week, even as a professional, and we're not happy the rest of the time because we're not on stage, you're spending most of your life being unhappy and being miserable. So that's, that's, that's so spot on. I think I, you can relate to that. In so, you can relate to what you explained in, in so many ways, particularly yeah. if you're presenting something, presenting to an audience, interviewing, um, almost in anything, it's you, you, you do need to fall in, in love with, with practice. And that's that's so, so important. As in that. I, I can see that. What, I, what I've noticed with that, because I know when I watched the TEDx show, um, talk, is in one of the reasons why I said I, I definitely need to speak to you. Um, as a generation, I think, um, I'm actually yeah. my generation, I know that practice is not something people look to. Um, it's almost right. like people, it's almost, it's almost forgotten. Like, okay, this is, this is the performance you turned up, but the hard work behind the scenes, it's not often celebrated. It's not often valued. Um, right. So I think that that's key. And I think as in, anybody who's looking to learn to improve, I think they can get that. But I just want to get you know, any thoughts you have on how can people begin to change that mindset, particularly if people are just focused so much on turning up, you know, giving this great presentation, giving a great speech without realizing that it's the hard work behind the scenes that right. makes it happen. Um, right. Well, it's, it's, it's really learning. It's, it's learning to shift the focus from being results oriented and just looking for the prize to mm. into embracing the journey, mm. right? To embracing the journey. Anyone who's excellent at what they do or have become a mastery at what they do, they've embraced the journey of whatever that is, whether it's being a writer, whether it's being an author, whether it's being a consultant, uh, whether it's being a speaker, um, they've embraced the journey. And so a part of that journey is, okay, what do I have to do to become the best that I can be? Not, you know, the goal isn't to be the best in the world because there's always going to be someone better. I'm just, I'm sorry. There's always going to be someone <laughs> better. Someone's going to, you know, speak a little bit better, say it a little bit better. And then we, then we struggle with imposter syndrome. We struggle with our growth mindset and all this other stuff that, and then we got to go to the psychologist and psychotherapists and they get, they get <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was just like it just quickly went down this dark hole right <laughs> but if we brace but if we take on the concept of the mindset of embracing the journey it's kind of like in sales if if all of it's if in the whole pro the sales process if you're only looking and you're only going to get excited about the sales process when they sign the check and you close mm -hmm. the contract uh the rest of the, i mean preparing for the meetings, preparing the proposals, making the follow-up calls, that you're just going to be miserable. <laughs> All you're excited about is when they sign the contract because signing of the contract takes how long? You know, a few minutes. seconds. 
minutes. They just, and sometimes they digitally sign it. You don't even see them. But then it's, okay, now that this contract has been signed, now you got to deliver. So now you go back into preparation. Now you got to practice. So it's really about changing the mindset from a results-oriented mindset to a journey mindset, to embracing the, the practice, to embracing the journey, to embracing the being. Yeah. Right. Because most of our goals, the goal, you know, especially if we set big goals, if we set a goal, it's not a, it's not really about accomplishing the goal. Because sometimes, you know, the goal could take years and then we accomplish it. It's like, okay, okay great. Accomplish that. Now what? Or it could be, you know, wow, it took me two years to accomplish a goal and look who I was when I started and look who I am now that I've accomplished. Who did, I who did I have to become? What did I have to work through? How did I have to deal with limiting beliefs and my fears and my insecurities and my shortcomings and what coaches did I have to work with and what skills did I have to develop? That's all a part of the journey. Yeah. And that whole part of the journey is that, that loving who you are becoming. And that's kind of, that's kind of the essence of the talk. It's you got to embrace that part of who you are becoming and that 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 you're living in such a way that and you're becoming something that you're you you are enjoying the process of of changing and growing and becoming, and that once you reach the goal, it's like yeah, I reached the goal. It's great. I'm, I'm excited about it. But okay, like what's next? And it's not what's next because I just want bigger and better. It's the challenge of okay, for me to reach this other goal, I got to become somebody else. Who is who? Who can think bigger? Who can, you know, br uh, attract bigger opportunities? Who can do bigger things and who can overcome bigger fears? All of that, right? So if if you look at any great career in music, in business, it's you know a lot of times we kind of awe at what the person has accomplished, rather than being awe at who do they have to become. Yeah. What did they have to work through? What fears, what insecurities did they have to work through to get to that point where they just, you know, they're used to managing a million dollar company or they're used to managing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of whatever the case is, that they're now comfortable with that. That's just a part of their life where before it scared the mess out of them. Yeah. It's, I think I, I like that you embrace the journey and determine. Who do you need to become to get to that next level each time? Constantly exactly. It's a lot more about being than doing and having. Because once you become, you can do, and then you can have. So it's being, doing, and having. A lot of times what we want is having, and then we want to figure out how to do it, and then we want to become it. And it's, it's backwards. <laughs> it's about being first. About being it is first. about being first. You know, being the kind of person that can handle the pressure. Because sometimes, you know, if we actually got a lot of times what we really asked for, we wouldn't, we're not equipped. We don't have all the skills. We haven't, we haven't gone down the journey to build a muscle. Mm. It's a reason why, you know, like, you know, I was thinking about this, I think LeBron James, the basketball star here in the U.S., just surpassed the, um, broke the record of scoring the most uh, baskets in, in in the history of the league. Okay. Now he went from being, he went from playing high school ball. He's a big guy to, to college ball. I mean, to, to the pros. 
Now, probably I'm not sure if they if this happens in rugby or or in soccer or foot, foot you know European football, but in American football you can't do that. You cannot go from being a high school student playing football to being a pro, because your body needs four more years to mature, so you can handle all that's going to come at you. Yeah. So in other words. The only way you can get to the pros from high school is you have to go through playing four or five years of college so you can become. Mm. It's the same thing in the business world. You know, how do you how do you get to where you can run a multi-million dollar company? You got to grow into that. You, you know, and if again, you have to, you know, it, it starts off with models, mentors, coaches, all those things that that I mentioned earlier that I learned from music. So, you know, as you are moving in and trying to grow your, your yourself or whatever the goals you have, it's all about, you know, who are you going to model after who's already been there because success leaves clues. Indeed, indeed. Um, I think there's a lot of music in your DNA. You've learned a lot from, from music. I think it, it, it sort of comes across clearly. Is Are there any things, any advice you can give teams of how they can leverage music even if they're not you know it's not in their dna they don't they're not experts yeah how can you how can you how can team leverage music to become high performing any any tips or suggestions you can give sure i mean you know it, you, and it's interesting the way i write my books although they they have music as a metaphor you don't have to be a musician to understand them right mm -hmm. um if you've listened to the radio if you've watched music um on television you've seen musicians play in a concert you are you can experience the concepts and so it's like you know if you have a team go to a concert go to a symphony go to a a jazz show go to one of your favorite bands to the stadium but this time instead of just going and kind of like, like you know drinking a beer and hanging out um go with the mindset of i'm not gonna i'm just gonna kind of observe and enjoy the process but i'm gonna watch what they do on stage how do they interact how do they come on stage? You know, if you get there early, sometimes you can get there before before the show starts and the sound crew is still setting up. The musicians are in the back room kind of getting prepared mentally. It's a mind game because they've developed the skills. Now it's okay. You know, it's kind of like why the football players, you know, whether it's soccer or American football, they put on headphones and listen to music and get into the vibe for yeah. the performance. So you, you can look at you can look at it from that angle. Look at it when they come on stage, especially the musicians. Um, do they have backup instruments? Why does it, why does the guy have two or three guitars behind him? Is he just showing off, or is he thinking, well, if one of the strings pop on my bass, I'm just gonna <laughs> put this one down and grab the other because yeah. I got a backup plan. I got a contingency plan. Um, why does the bass player always stand near the drummer? And in a way where he can see him. If you mm. notice, if you ever watch uh, musicians work together, the bass player and the drummer are always very close to each other. And they mm. can see each other. They can literally look into each other's eyes and go, oh, you got this beat? You locked in? I'm locked in. Are you with me? I'm... And then they lock in. So, so again, if you, if you, as a team, a business team, you go to a concert, mm. same thing with the symphony. If you go to the concert and you see the conductor, he has this little stick in his hand, the 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 and and he's you know making these gestures with his body, and the orchestra is moving in a certain way. 
is he micromanaging them or is he kind of pulling out of them the sound or the expression or the best? So if you're the leader of a large group, how can you, you know, looking at a conductor, what could you learn? Or if you're the, or you're the first instrumentalist in a, in a section, you're the first cellist, the first violinist, they give the note or they kind of give the clues or they're like one of the best, but they also lean in with the other musicians. So there's all these little intricacies, these little things that we can learn. But if we just go and watch a show and just pay attention to how they do things, what they're doing, and many times they're doing all this stuff, they've been doing it for so long, it's not even conscious. Like they're not even thinking about it. They're not thinking <laughs> about how they're you know, tuning up or yeah. how they are looking at each other or what they're, it's just non-conscious, subconscious gestures. But those are the same things that we can do as a team. Right. You can have, you know, the, the project managers working really closely with the business analysts. The business analysts is in the middle between the project manager and the developers, you know, making sure that what they're and the QA person is kind of on the side, making sure that they're capturing all the, the ways they're going to test the software, the test, the business process, uh, how they communicate it back to the sponsors so that they really get it. Now, if you're going through all the technical details, but explain the concept, all of those things can be learned. From just literally watching watching a concert, watching musicians work together, and how they interact, and then you know, especially with jazz, you got different musicians that solo, the bass players and the drummer, they're 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 playing in a way that follows where this person's going, even though they're playing the same roadmap. So all those things are really critical and really important when it comes to the way you should listen to to music, and if you want to use music as a metaphor to improve your teams, those are some great things that you could do. Uh, re really, really insightful. I think you've given me a new love for music, actually. So I think it's something <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to implement some of that advice. It's, you know, it's, it's really, really good. Um, just, just in closing, it would be good to, you know, share with the audience anything interesting you're doing right now. And obviously, how can people reach out and contact you? Sure, sure. I think the most interesting thing I'm doing right now is two things. One is working with Wiley and Sons and prepping my book to be published in August the 1st. Um, I'm really excited because my first book was self-published. Um, I, again, mentors, coaches, I joined a group, met um, Jack Canfield, met Steve Harrison, um, met a number of other people. And it turned into a situation where I was able to get a literary agent. So as I wrote my second book, now have a literary agent who marketed that book and we sold that to Business Expert Press and they published it. I learned a ton from that experience and working with them as a publisher. And then as I'm writing my third book and looking at how I'm gonna position it, working with my literary agent now, um, working with others on my team and realizing that I need not just to write books by myself, but I needed a team. So I hired coaches, I hired you know a designer, I hired someone to help me think through the title. I hired um, a publicity co company to help me to market what I was already doing and also to give me input into the new book to make sure that it was going to be marketable and that, that when people read it, it would really make sense. So, you know, it's like I've, I've tried to grow myself as even as an author that it's not a it's not an individual sport. It's not a solo sport. It's a, being an author is a team sport, especially if you want to sell books. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about uh, my website, um, 
productivityintelligenceinstitute.com. And in the, on that, I write a lot of articles around, you know, being product, productivity, but also being intelligently productive. Mm. Uh, because, you know, if you listen to my, my TEDx, as you said earlier, that happened six weeks before I had a major bout with vertigo. And I won't go into the whole story, but mm. six weeks before that TEDx, I lost the ability to walk. Playing music, following these principles, I regained the ability to walk. I walked on stage and delivered that talk and it transformed me. And I started working with doctors and other people and neuroscientists. And so I've developed a growth strategies program that I'm starting to launch from that website around, the, around that process. So you can go there and learn more about that as well. So those are two things that I'm really excited about the book and this growth strategies, um, mastermind and coaching program because it's really taking a lot of things that I'm talking about now and really teach, giving people practical steps, steps and tips on how to actually do these things and you know, address limiting beliefs, address you know, how to find the right coach and how to really go after your goals and how to en embrace the journey and so on and so forth. Brilliant, I think, thanks. I think that's been, you're doing a lot as a, and from what you described, you're also embracing the journey, especially how you've, continually change and improve the way you, you you write in the book so thanks for that um this has been a very very brilliant and wonderful conversation but what i'll do is I'll, I'll put the links to your to your website i think to your linkedin as well in the show notes anybody wants to reach out to gerald i think that they can easily do so um gerald really thanks for your time you've been very generous with your time and with your insights as well you've got a, a, a lot of lessons to, to teach all of us <laughs> in the change management um community but just in, in career in general, I think you've, you've got, and I really like the analogy of music that you've used to, to communicate that. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really glad you invited me and um, I hope everyone gets a lot out of this. Thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Gerald. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. A review will help others find the podcast. I'd like to invite you to continue the conversation on our website, thechangelead.com. Our community website provides a platform to share and discuss the challenge of leadership and change with fellow professionals. So check out our website, thechangelead.com, to join the conversation. Check out the show notes for details on how you can contact today's guest, Gerald J. Leonard. Also, don't forget like comment review and subscribe thank you very much for tuning in have a great rest of your day and see you next time